Good morning. How's everyone doing? Good. I hope you're having a wonderful day. We want to welcome you to Arden First Baptist. If you are visiting, you're a special guest. We want you to feel right at home. We like to say we're a place where you can belong, believe, and become. This time, let's go to the Lord in prayer as we prepare our hearts for his word. Father, you are worthy, and Jesus, the Lamb, is worthy, and Holy Spirit, you are worthy. We invite you into this place today. Father, as we talk through what your word has to say to us, in a moment as we partake of the Lord's Supper, the body that was broken and the blood that was shed for us, we pray that your blessing would be upon this time. We love you and we commit this time to you. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's children said, Amen. We're going to take a little two-week pause from going through the Gospel of Luke. And we're going to be doing a two-week series on community. And part of the reason for that is we all need community. And I just want to do a little survey. How many of you feel like you still have growth to do in your life? Raise your hands. All right. How many of you feel like you've arrived? I was going to say, Noel, put your hand down. <laughs> so one of the ways that we grow the most is through community. All right, one, one more survey to surveying the audience, and there's no right answer for this. But how many of you would say that you have grown the most in your life, and it doesn't have to be spiritually, but it could be academic, job-related, when you are alone in isolation? How many of you grew the most? Raise your hand. Okay, see one hand. How many of you would say you grew the most when people around you? All right. And for those of you who said you grew in isolation, here's one possibility with that, is that God isolated you for a wilderness experience that what you didn't learn in community, he had to get you alone to speak to you in a tough time. But you could have learned it in community, so he had to isolate you. It's just a possibility. So today we're going to talk about how God has designed you and created you for community. And just a little preview coming up, we got Labor Day weekend coming up, and then September 9th, two weeks from today, we're having a fall launch. So what I want to encourage you guys to do is begin to pray about the person you're going to invite to church for September 9th. We're going to be having a special breakfast at 8.30 to 9.15. We're launching our new 9.30 service and also fall launch for this service. So it's going to have a huge breakfast. So this is kind of bring your friend to church today. So September 9th, I want you to put it on your calendar. If you've got any more vacations, go and get those out of the way. So we can all be back on September 9th. If you're with me, say amen. All right, so today we're going to turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. And we're going to ask this big question. Are you really connected to missional community? Are you really connected? And the book of Hebrews is quite interesting. it's It's a great book that talks about the priesthood. And how none of the sacrifices could fully do what Jesus did. They were IOUs. Jesus is superior to everything laid out. He's superior to the angels. He's superior to the sacrifices. He's superior to Moses. Every character in the Old Testament, he is superior. So we get to chapter 10. And the author of Hebrews starts in verse 19. If you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to turn there. If you don't, it's on the screen. It says, Therefore, brethren, so he's talking to believers, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is through his flesh, and having a high priest over the household of God, let us draw near with a true heart 
in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure waters. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Before we go to verse 24, you notice it's us and our, us and our. Community is not me, it's us and it's our. Verse 24, it says, Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, as some is in the habit of doing, or as the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. May God bless his word. So the author of Hebrews would like you to know that we need each other. The thriving Christian is not a me, it's a we. It's a us and a our proposition. So I asked you at the beginning of today's message, how many of you feel like you need to grow more? All of us did. The way God has designed you is to grow in community. It starts in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, who created the heavens and the earth? God. And it's interesting, when you go down to verse 26, God said, let us make man in our image. Who's us and our? Well, The God exists in triune form, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Did you realize that God is a community in and of himself? The Father has a relationship with the Son and the Spirit, and likewise. So we are created in his image. Does anybody remember the first time God said something was not good? It was not good that man should be alone. Genesis chapter 2. Don't you wish, guys, it was ladies, it's good for women not to be alone. It's why does it have to be guys, right? So we need each other. We need community. So here's what I want to get to you today is what does a thriving Christian look like? If you could say, I'm growing, I'm thriving, what does that look like for your life? Well, four things, briefly. Number one, a thriving Christian is bold in prayer, is bold in prayer. And we have several, many of you are prayer warriors in here. I know Miss Dot and Kirby and others of you serve at the 9 o'clock. We have a prayer meeting that meets. And if you you guys get here early, you're welcome to come to that. It meets 9 o'clock backstage. Because we believe in the power of prayer. We believe that prayer changes things. Look at verse 19 again. It says, therefore, brethren, having boldness. Someone say boldness. Did you know that you can enter into God's presence boldly? Well, why is this true? How can we enter boldly? Well, there's a few reasons. If you ever listen to God, you can follow along. Number one, Jesus personally pray, paid the price for our sins. Did you realize you can have boldness now? Because when God sees you through Christ, through his sacrifice, he sees you as perfect, as pure and blameless. And you're like, wait a second, I'm not perfect. We realize that. But Jesus took away all your sin. And that's why Colossians says that God sees us as holy, blameless, and above reproach. Well, like, well, I'm not holy, I'm not blameless, well, practically we get it, but positionally Jesus took away all your sin. And if you want evidence of that, read the book of Hebrews. It tells you that Jesus, by one sacrifice, forever perfected those who are being sanctified. That's good news. Look at the person next to you that says, that's good news. I came to church discouraged, but now I'm encouraged that, man, when God sees me through Christ, and that's if you, if you are a Christian, of course. Number two, this is under what is a boldness in prayer. Number two, Jesus tore down anything that could hinder your relationship with God. In Hebrews, it talks about the veil. Whenever Jesus died, you remember there was an earthquake, and it said the veil of the temple was torn from what? Top 
to bottom. That's God's way of saying, from my, my vantage point up here all the way down, from top to bottom, I'm clearing out everything that's going to hinder a relationship with me. I'm making a way. Jesus would say, I paid for your sins, and I opened up the way. Because the Holy of Holies, there was a temple in, in, in Jerusalem, and the veil would separate the holy place from the most holy place. And only once a year the high priest could go in the most holy place. And the author of Hebrews says, by the way, that veil separating you from the very presence of God is torn down. And we, we know from Paul's writings in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, did you realize where the temple is now? It's you. Did you realize that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? God's glory dwells in you. So where's the most holy place on earth? It's inside of you through the person of the Holy Spirit. So you don't have to go to a physical building to connect with God. You have to connect with God through the person of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So you can go straight boldly. Jesus opened a way to have instant access to God. And finally, another reason why we should be bold. Jesus is presently praying for us as our high priest. Did you realize that you guys are also priests? It says in Peter that you are a royal priesthood. You're like, wait a second. I'm a priest? Yes, if you are a believer, you are a priest. That means that you can represent God to the people. That means that you can bring petitions about people to God. You can pray for them, just what a priest would do, to represent and pray, represent the people to God. You can do that. So what does it mean for Jesus to be my high priest? Let me explain it like this. Paul tells us in the book of Romans, when you don't know what to pray, who prays for you inside of you? The Holy Spirit. Well, who does the Holy Spirit talk to? Jesus, right? And who, Jesus as our high priest, who is he talking to? The Father. So I want you guys to, to follow my line of thought. The next time you think that you're not important, the next time you think that God has forgotten or doesn't matter about you, daily, God is talking to God, is talking to God about you. That'll make you even a Baptist, a Presbyterian, a Lutheran, an Anglican, um, Methodist want to shout. Because God is praying for you. He cares for you. So that the author of Hebrews says, listen, you can enter boldly because God is talking to God, is talking to God about you. The Trinity, it's hard to, hard to wrap your mind around, but it's the truth. But there's, there's several reasons why we push back against prayer. And if I had to survey the audience, the 930 service, I asked them. People said, I'm too busy. I get distracted. You know, there's all these reasons. I listed a few in your listening guide. The first big one is I don't have enough time. I'm too busy. If you're honest, how many of you ever use that excuse? I'm too busy to pray. I would say you're too busy not to pray. Because here's the thing. If you start your day off being too busy, guess who's carrying the load if you don't pray? You are. If you start the day in prayer, guess who the load is transferred to? God. I'm reading this book on uh, church growth barriers, and it talks about every level of growth you hit barriers. And it gave a story, a true story, about uh, some pastors, I believe it was in South Korea. And they have these kind of network cell churches that can grow into the thousands. So one of the pastors, I believe, has like one of the largest churches in the world, 300,000 people, house churches. Can you imagine that? 300,000 the other pastor had a church of 3,000, both, you know, exceptionally large. So the guy that was pastoring the church of 3,000, he went to his friend, and he wasn't trying to be prideful or anything, but he said, I can't, you're going to have to help me, brother. I can't wrap my mind around it. You pastor 300,000 people, 
you know, through all these house cell churches. I pastor 300 or 3,000. And he said, I have more education than you do. I'm not trying to be prideful, but I'm more educated. He said, I listen to your sermons. And can I be honest? I feel like my preaching's better. That sounds a little prideful at this point, doesn't it? So he said, I, I just, you're going to have to help me because there's something I'm missing. And the pastor that pastored the, the bigger church said, well, do you pray? And he said, of course I pray. I pray. I have my list. I faithfully pray. He said, well, how long? Well, about 30 minutes a day. You know, most would be like, that's pretty good. And then he asked the other pastor, was, well, how much do you pray? And he said, typically I pray between one to three hours a day. Now, which one do you think would pray less? You know, you'd think the pastor of the big church would pray less because he has no time. And the pastor responded back to the guy who pastored 3,000. He said, the difference between my church and your church is the difference between 30 minutes and one to three hours a day of prayer. And the moral of the story is not that you pray more to get more. That's not what I'm talking about. It's relying on God. Instead of me saying, I can do it, you're saying, God, I desperately need you. And that's what I want us to get. You cannot do it on your own in a way that's going to have eternal benefit. You need God. Look at the person next to you and say, you need God. Just reminding you, you need God. So another reason we say is, I don't know what to say. You ever felt that? I just don't know what to pray. You ever think that maybe you're going with the wrong mindset? In Western culture, we think of prayer as talking to God. In other cultures around the world, they, use, they view prayer as communion with God. So in other words, it's not just talking, it's listening. It's being still. It's listening for the Spirit to give you impressions on your heart. How many of us are good at that? <laughs> Be honest, probably not. So next time you pray, listen. So in a conversation with a friend, let's say you take a friend out to lunch, and they talk to you the entire time, and at the very end of the conversation, well, how are you? And it's time to go. Wouldn't that be kind of awkward, like they just talked the whole time and you didn't get to say anything? But isn't that how we talk to God instead of with God? We lay out our long list, and then when it's time, got anything you want to tell me? Okay, we're good. Goodbye. That's how we pray, right? Another reason is I get distracted too easily. Some of us easily get distracted. The cell phone's ringing. You know, someone is knocking on the door. And a lot of times these happen. So I would encourage you to meet with God in a time and a place where there's fewer distractions. And for those of you who have like ADD, you get distracted easily, maybe a little notepad beside you would be good. So when the distractions pop up, you just write it down so you can be done with it until you're done prayer. Another reason, I don't feel worthy to pray. When I pray, I'm reminded of how unworthy I am. I'm reminded of sin in my life. Well, what do we read in Hebrews that we can enter boldly because of the blood of Jesus? We can enter boldly. And if God brings sin to your attention, what do you do? You confess it and you move forward. Those are some reasons why we should pray. Now, some of you have heard this story, so it's a reminder. Others of you have not heard. But when I think of prayer, I'm reminded of Doug and Sylvia. The story goes something like this. There were this newlywed couple, and they were so excited for their honeymoon. So they, 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 they flew to this exotic place, and when they checked into the hotel, it was really late. So they, they scrambled into the room. They were so tired. And to Doug's surprise, it was a small little room. And he, he, he's like, this is not what I saw on Travelocity. I mean, it was this beautiful room with the heart-shaped jacuzzi. It included all these amenities like chocolates and, you know, all this stuff. And this is like a little sink, a little couch, and a TV. It's like, we got chipped. So they couldn't find a bed. And after they searched, they realized the, the couch had a pull-out mattress, the hideaway mattress. 
And the next morning, Doug went to the manager and said, I can't believe I paid good money for this honeymoon suite. And I got this little corner room. I mean, this is not right. He said, well, did you open the door next to the sink? And he said, I thought that was the closet. So he went back up. He opened the door. And ladies and gentlemen, when he walked through the door, there was the honeymoon suite the heart-shaped bathtub and chocolates and roses and candies. And he was just like, I can't believe it. And, you know, I wonder how many of us can't believe it when we see how many things God wants to bless us with, but we never open the door of prayer. There's so many. There's a world of possibilities. Prayer is connection to God. But in addition to that, it opens up a world of possibilities you never dreamed of if we would just open the door through prayer. Amen. Number two, what does a thriving Christian look like? A thriving Christian is steadfast in hope. Steadfast in hope. Look at verse 23. It says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. What does it look like to waver? Well, my mind thinks about people. You ever see someone driving and they're swerving? Maybe they're a little too sleepy and they're kind of wavering. Um, wavering is the idea of you're, you start off in a right direction, but then you start swerving. Spiritually, we should not be swerving. Because when we're swerving, what happens in a car when you swerve? You hit by innocent bystanders. Spiritually, it's the same way. When we're walking with God and we go off the path, guess what? It affects others. In some cases, it can really harm others if we swerve off the path. So a thriving Christian is steadfast in hope. They're not swerving. They're focused and fixed on the promises of God. What are some promises that God gave us? There's many. I've listed five in your listening notes. Number one, life. Jesus said in John 10, 10, the thief comes what? To steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come that you may have, say it with me, life. That's so amazing. Life in it more abundantly. Aren't you glad that Jesus gives us life in a world that's full of death? Number two is acceptance. All that the Father gives to me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. John 6, 37. Aren't you glad that God accepts you just the way you are, but he loves you too much to keep you that way? His love changes you. I like to tell people, you can come to Arden first just the way you are, but be prepared. God's love and his truth will accept you the way you are, but it's going to forever change the way you are. What about reward? Jesus tells us that whatever you've sacrificed for the gospel, whether it be houses or lands or family members or whatever it is, it says you will receive a hundredfold in this life, along with persecutions and eternal life and the life to come. See, here's the beautiful thing about it. You can never outgive God. God is always going to be more generous than you. Did you ever realize that? As generous as some of you are, God will always be more generous than you could ever dream of. What about friendship with God? And a lot of us view God in negative ways, like he's out to get me. He's out to, it's like the guy upstairs, some of you think of him in those terms. But have you ever thought about God as friend? The Bible says, Jesus says, if you do whatever I command you, you're my friends. And a friend, guess what he does? He reveals secrets. Isn't it great to be a friend of God? A perfect and permanent place. A lot of you love the promise of John 14. In my father's house or what? Many mansions. And to me, I love the place, but even greater than the place is the person of the place. I'll illustrate it like this. Have you ever went on a vacation 
where the destination you had friends and family already there waiting for you. Isn't that a much better experience when you have people that can spend time with and show you around versus this going by yourself? Did you know that in heaven, many of you have loved ones that have gone on before you and they're waiting? They, 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 something I never thought about until now, but they may have an idea what your mansion looks like, even though you may not have an idea. They're up there, right? So wouldn't just a little thinking, wouldn't it be amazing if they're checking out your mansion right now and be like, Timothy, you won't believe when you get here. I mean, doesn't that give you a little excitement that your family and friends that died in the Lord, they're in heaven, they're waiting for you? Beautiful. So here's the thing. We as Christians should be the most hopeful people on planet Earth. Not because we're greater than any others, not because we're better, but because we have Jesus. And because this is true, the author of Hebrews said, let us hold fast this confession without wavering. Let us be hopeful. Amen. Number three, a thriving Christian is creative in building up others in the faith. Look at verse 24. It says, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Verse 25 but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. Most of you can't see, but I have a little Band-Aid on my finger here. It's flesh-colored, so it doesn't stand out. But I was, uh, it, it, you're, you guys are learning your pastor's accident prone. Every week I got another casualty happening. But I was taking out the trash, and as I was reaching to put um, a trash bag in our infamous van that you guys have heard so much about, I felt this horrible pain throbbing through my finger, my pointer finger. And blood was just gushing all over the place. It was covering. I mean, it was just like sprouting. And I had no idea what had happened. I was just taking out trash. So I ran in the house. My kids were taking a nap, so I didn't want to wake up the kids. My finger is wrapped in my shirt. Blood is gushing out. Lori's nowhere to be found because she's upstairs with all the puppies. So I dial her my phone. I'm like, I need you to come down now. So she comes rushing out. She goes outside. I'm not outside, so I have to find her. Hey, I'm inside. Come help me. So we finally pour peroxide Stop the bleeding. It probably took about five to ten minutes to get, but it seemed like an eternity. Blood's coming, and I'm just like, oh, I'm trying not to wake up the kids. It's nap time. You know, all this stuff's happening. And the next thing I know, we got it wrapped up, and it's okay. It's, it's a pretty big cut. But I, I still didn't know what had cut me, so I went back to the car once my mind cleared, and I realized I had been cut on a broken lamp that still had glass inside the, the, the lamp stand. And this glass cut deep into my skin. And as I was thinking, I had this light bulb of an idea. This light that was supposed to be bright and shine a light, this bulb that was supposed to shine light, cut me deeply. And I began to think of us as Christians. Have you ever noticed we're supposed to shine the light of Christ? We're supposed to be like that light bulb. But do you know that broken glass cuts deeper? The brighter the light, it seems like the deeper the cut. And as Christians, when we go through times where we swerve off the path, when we go times where we're not encouraging others and we're broken, you ever realize that hurting people hurt people? And you're like, this person is supposed to be light, but instead they cut me deeply. It seems like the brighter the light, the deeper the cut. And I was thinking about that, and I was reminded of the scripture where it says, let us consider one another in order to stir up to love and good works. So we're supposed to be helping others, not hurting others. We're supposed to be building others up, not tearing them down. 
And the word consider, by the way, this is not just a casual thought. This is thinking about a certain person in your life and saying, how will I help them become all that God's created them to be? It's an intelligent look into someone's life. And by the way, it's hard to do this apart from community. If you guys aren't in a Sunday school class, aren't in a community group, how do you know people's problems? People generally share up close. And by the way, in, in rows, you guys experience inspiration. That's what Sunday's about. You're inspired. You're encouraged. But did you know in, inspiration doesn't always translate into transformation? Did you know that transformation happens best in circles and not in rows? Because in a row right now, you're staring at the back of someone's head. And hopefully it's a beautiful head. But you're not experiencing dialogue. What's going on in your life? How, how, how has life been good to you or how have you been hurt? We learn best in circles, not in rows. And that's why Sunday school classes, that's why life groups, that's why we're doing the 40 days of community. Because you cannot be all that God wants you to be in isolation. Because the one another's of scripture, you have to fulfill in the context of community, one another. Someone said, amen, ouch. So God help us. So what should we consider one another? He says to stir up. The idea of stir up is it doesn't come naturally. You know, if you notice, even as Christians, we have to be motivated to do what's right sometimes. So he says, stir up two things, love and good deeds. If we're going to love like Jesus loved, we have to be surrounded by the people whom Jesus loves. I'll say that again. If we want to love like Jesus loves, we're going to have to be surrounded by the people that love Jesus. And we're going to have to reach out to the people that are far from God. And we're going to have to reach out to the people that Jesus died for. And it says good works. What does it mean to stir up good works? This is the idea of you're encouraging people to fulfill their God-given calling. How has God wired them? What are their gifts, talents, and abilities? Let us do that. Finally, the fourth point. A thriving Christian is faithful in gathering together for corporate worship. He says, let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And what is the next phrase as some of you are in the habit of doing? How did he know that we as humans would get in the habit of not going to church. You ever think about that? How did he know in 2,000 years later? It's the idea of as humans, we like autonomy. As humans, we like individualism. When you're in a church, especially in a small group, it forces you to have interdependence upon one another. We don't like that. We push against that. That's our old nature. So the author says, by the way, I know that some of you realize you should be gathering, but instead of gathering, you're scattering. And being a scattered saint doesn't help many people. A gathered saint gathers for encouragement, inspiration. And then when we go out into the world, we can make a difference. Amen. So I read about a seven-year-old boy. My daughter Kira is six. So this is just one year older than her. He got arrested almost. And I've got to explain the almost. He had stolen a car. It was one Sunday morning in Utah. He had stolen a car. And the police had chased him for 10 blocks. Now, Kira, don't get any ideas. But the ch- police had chased him. It wasn't a high-speed chase. It was a low-speed chase because he couldn't reach the pedals. So he would lean down, hit the gas, and then lean up, lean down, lean up. So it went between 40 and 45 miles per hour, running through stoplights, stop signs. Finally, he pulled into this driveway, and he ran out of the car as the police were chasing him down. And he hid in the basement. So this young kid, his name was Preston. And he stole his family's car, and he drove around, this is on a Sunday, and he pulled back into his family's driveway and hid out in the basement so he wouldn't get arrested by the cops. 
And the cops asked his family, what was going on? Why did he take off and why did he run away? I mean, what, what was he doing? And you know one of his reasons he gave? It was too pretty. I didn't want to go to church today. This is seven years old, still in a car because he, he wanted to skip church. So here's the thing. When, when we look at ourselves as adults, we realize even from a young age we have this proclivity. You know, I don't want to do that. But the author tells us, you may not want to do it, but listen, you need to do it for your own sake, but also for the one another's that you're going to impact. Because when you're not present, it hurts others. Whenever you miss church, you miss church. Whenever you miss what God's doing, you miss out. So I want to encourage you with that. So on your listening guide, I list a few reasons why we struggle with getting connected. If we took a survey, we'd probably come up more than six, but here's six I came up with. Number one, our priorities are out of order. Our priorities are out of order. I asked the, the first service, surveyed them. I said, what are some reasons why people, you know, don't want to gather together for church or small group? And, you know, some of the top things were travel sports leagues. Uh, someone else in the group said fishing. Um, the list went on and on. And these things aren't bad in and of themselves, but when they're in the priority of being central instead of Jesus central, things get out of order in our lives. And I think it's good to say put Jesus first. I think it's even better to say put Jesus at the center because if Jesus is first in your life, guess what? Tomorrow he could fall down to third place. But if he's at the center of your life, if he moves out of the center, guess what? Your whole world falls apart. So I would say put Jesus first, but even better, put him at the center. So every decision revolves around the grid of is this what Jesus wants me to do? Number two, we replace holy habits with personal hobbies. We live in a day where you can pick 50 things to do on a Sunday, 50 things to do during a week. And these things aren't wrong in and of themselves as long as they're in the right priority. And we know that the acrostic joy, Jesus, others, and then myself. The problem is we've switched it and it's me and then others and then Jesus. We have to get back in priority. Number three, we have changed our focus from internal to external. In other words, we were focused internally. But now we're focused on external. We're focused on superficial, shallow living. And we have to change that. Number four, we've lost our sense of eternity. And instead we focus on the here and now. And I say this a lot. You ever ask people how they're doing? I'm just thankful to survive this day. And that's, that's a real answer. We can say that. But in the context of eternity, did you realize that your story is part of God's story? And even when you have a bad day, it's okay, because guess what? God's story, in the end, it's victorious. He wins. So in your story, if you have defeat, it's okay, because the greater story has a victory element. Amen? Number five, we've been hurt in community, just like that broken bulb. So we don't want to get involved in community anymore. Those who are closest to you can hurt you the greatest, right? So we don't want to do it. Can I ask you guys a question? Do you have that same logic with every area of your life? How many of you have ever been gotten food poisoning at a restaurant? Raise your hand. I know I have. Did you stop going out to eat after that experience? So why do we, when we have a bad experience at church, we push it away when we don't do that in anything else in life? We've had bad experiences at ball games, restaurants, all that. We keep going back. Why is it church is the only thing when we've had a bad experience? Or like, it's because the enemy wants us to be marginalized and isolated. And finally, we've alluded to this. We desire autonomy and community forces me to be interdependent upon others. We desire autonomy. So community forces you to get connected with others. 
This is to the men here. I thought this was funny. I came across this quote. It says, men, when you were born, your mother brought you to church. When you got married, who brought you to church? Your wife brought you to church. And when you die, your friends will bring you to church. Why not go to church on your own? The final thought, and we will conclude before we partake in the Lord's Supper. This person wrote, this is my church. It is composed of people just like me. It will be friendly if I am friendly. It will do a great work if I work. It will make generous gifts to many causes if I am generous. It will bring others into its fellowship if I bring them. Its seats will be filled if I fill them. It will be a church of loyalty and love, of faith and service. It is who it makes it is if I do these things. Therefore, with God's help, I dedicate myself to the task of being all these things I want my church to be. So whatever you see lacking at this church, and by the way, we're not the perfect church. Whatever you see lacking, take this perhaps as God knocking on your heart saying maybe you need to step up and be that. If there's a ministry that we don't have, maybe that's your cue to start it. If there's a small group that you're like, I wish there was a group for this, I would do it. Maybe this is your cue to rise up. And if you want the church to be that, why don't you be it yourself? Amen. So summarize this in a sentence. What does a thriving Christian look like? You cannot be all that God wants you to be apart from what? Community. We need each other. Community is not a me. It's an us and a we. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for your word, how powerful it is. I thank you that you've called us to live a life of community. And God, I know many of us would add to the list of reasons why we don't have community. And God, I pray that you would forgive us for our excuses. And instead of making excuses, help us make plans. How we can do all that you've called us to do. And when no one looking around, how many would raise their hand towards just a little, a little high and say, Timothy, I realize I need community. Pray for me. If that's you, raise your hand. I'm raising my hand with you. Father, you see the hands. Help us to push against the desire for autonomy that we don't need people. And help us to believe the Bible that you created us for community. It's not good that men or women should be alone. So help us. And Lord, forgive us for our excuses. If there be one here today as the believers continue to pray that you've never entered into the community of God, meaning you've never asked Jesus into your life, you've never repented of your sins, every week we give the chance for you to receive the gospel. If you believe Jesus died on the cross, he was buried, he rose the third day, and you're willing to turn from your sins and turn to Christ for forgiveness, say this prayer in your own words, Dear Jesus, I realize that I'm a sinner and I'm in need of grace. I pray that you would forgive me of all my sins. I pray that you would step out of heaven and into my life, into my heart. I make you my Lord and my Savior, my best friend. I believe that you died on the cross and you rose again so that I could live through you. So Jesus, help me from this moment on live through you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's children said, amen. This time our ushers are going to come forward. And we're going to have a special time of the Lord's Supper. And just kind of paint the picture as we're passing out the elements. I'm going to explain in just a moment. The choir is going to sing to kind of to get our hearts prepared. But this Lord's Supper is for anyone that's a believer. So for those of you who said, I'm not a church member, can I partake of it? As long as you are a member of the body of Christ, the table is open. 
And so ushers, you can go ahead and begin passing this out as I explain. First of all, we're going to pass out the bread. And the bread represents the body of Christ that was broken for you. It represents the body that was broken so that you and I could have life. So this time, the ushers, if you're going to pass this out.